And now it's time to bait our hooks, cast our nets, drop our poles in the water, and fish for some jokes with Down on the Dock. Well, 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 we're back. <laughs> <laughs> you forgot. I did forget, man. It's been a while since we've been that back. countdown got you. Um, welcome to episode 68, um, part two of Mr. Death, The Rise and Fall of Fred A. Luchter Jr., released in 1999 and directed by my favorite documentarian, who did his name? Errol Morris. Errol Morris. That's correct. Um... For those of you that are just tuning in, um, we're going to remind you right now, this is part two, uh, so you want to go back and hit the rewind button to episode 67 and start there. Now, Dave, a lot of positive comments this week. Um, yes. We're going to ha- talk about some you reviews. You met a fan. I did meet, I did meet a fan. Pseudo fan. Uh, no, real fan. Okay. Uh, always nice to meet people out in the wild when you're doing your favorite thing in the world yes. you love to do, which is stand-up comedy. Yes. Uh, more on that later. Uh, but if you do want to be a fan, which, because, uh, you know, there's lurkers out there. Yeah, there's some lurkers. Like, I'm a Reddit lurker. Yeah. Post like maybe once a year. Sure. But I digest a lot of good stuff out I there. I bet. Yeah. Reddit has a lot of good stuff. It's amazing. Uh-huh. It's a great source. It's a great source. <laughs> so if they, if our listeners want to uh, take their fandom to a next level, what do they do, Dave? You go to Instagram at Down on the Docs Pod. You follow us. You go to Twitter. You follow Dave Sarah first, but then you go to Down on the Docks <laughs> at Twitter. Or you can send us an email, email at downonthedocks at gmail.com. Hey, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. You might have to, you know, listen to a couple episodes or so, but then, you know, it's encouraged anyway. Yeah, but the, here's the thing. And look, if they're already listening to the episodes. You, look, you go in there, leave a five-star, tell yep. them how much you hate me. Tom Dave's gay. I don't care. Okay. Look, as long as we get that you know five what I care star about? rating, what? Ah, uh, that voice. <laughs> because it reminds me of somebody that creeps Creep me out. <laughs> All right, Dave. Before we start, H. Did, Foley. Did, before we start today's episode, can you let our listeners know who this week's episode is sponsored by? This week's episode of Down on the Docks is brought to you by Broccoli Farms, established in 2016 San Diego, California, by cannabis entrepreneur Anthony Bird. Broccoli Farms is a modern take on cannabis brands around the world. By combining new terminology involving cannabis worldwide, Anthony created a cannabis brand that uniquely represents the entire cannabis industry as one. Broccoli Farms. Are you sure it's not cannabis industry as four, maybe? The lowest delivery minimum in San Diego, fair prices and quality products makes Broccoli Farms one of the best deliveries in San Diego for almost a decade. Be sure to mention, we got to change that to a decade pretty yeah. soon. Yeah, good point. <laughs> Be sure to mention Down on the Docks podcast for 15% off your next order, along with first-time patient gifts and rewards. Fuck that pussy. <laughs> Check them out today on Instagram at broccolifarm619 and daves.sarah. You know what a reamer is? Um, um, Something to do with the asshole? <laughs> 
No, it's one of those pot terms that I hate. I never heard. The term uh, re- I need a reamer. reamer. I need a reamer, bro. Is that like an amount? No, that, it's huh. like when something I think technically the goes wrong reamer. with your uh, your pot smoking device and it uh, gets clogged. Hmm. I've seen people flip out oh, because they're that's like, a pretty I need good a reamer. Look, that's a pretty good name for something that clears out a cavity. Yeah, but they're like, I mean, I've been around people. Or they're just like, oh, this is this is driving me crazy. I need a reamer, and then they go through all your shit. So crazy, and then they fucking like. Take paper clips, yeah, yeah, and fucking get in there. I got one. I got a reamer right here in yeah. front of me. Paper Losers, clip. paper clip. Okay, Dave, let's get into episode sixty-eight, yep. Mr. Death, the Rise and Fall of Fred A. Luker Jr. Yep. Now, if you recall, I we, don't. We clip. Well, <laughs> just let you know right now. It was five days ago. <laughs> we ended probably. <laughs> we ended this episode on a cliffhanger um, for the Ernst Zundel trial. Uh, you, if you'll remember, Ernst, four days ago. <laughs> If you'll remember, We're recording early this week. <laughs> we are. If you'll remember, uh, Ernst uh, Zundel was on trial in Canada because, um, you know. Yeah, free speech don't exist in Canada. We know. <laughs> he's not a fan of the Nazis. Up there. Or he's a huge fan of the Nazis, and he was denying that the Holocaust. Well, I'm not going to go as far as say he was a huge fan of the Nazis, but he didn't believe that the... Holocaust was uh, happening at the same clip. This is a as real they were. slippery slope for you I'm to be just, attached to. <laughs> just so you know. That's a good point. Especially during Hamas week. We're going to talk about Hamas at the end of this. No way. Yeah. Why? Be- well, just be patient, Dave. Oh, no. Is this about the raid on Entebbe? No. Okay. No, we're not going to get specific. So, okay. big Thank news God. coming. The trial's over. and we Big get, news. We, big news. Big, big news. We get the verdict. The jury said Ernst Zundel is guilty of publishing news he knew to be false about the Holocaust. In spite of that, when he emerged from the courtroom this afternoon, Zundel still maimed the Holocaust was a hoax. Wow. He went all the way out there. He, he said the H-O, the H word. Yeah. So we see Zundel in an interview and he says, no, this is just one more hurdle to overcome. And I have always looked upon boulders in the path of my life, not as stumbling blocks, but as stepping stones. Uh, Fred, of course, says, uh, on my return from Canada. Canada. <laughs> the best, by the way. When they throw that. Uh, when they turn the. That's like an English thing. It's an East Coast thing. Yeah. Because, you know. when Soar I it. He saw it. Well, my favorite side. He idea, saw it well. Idea. It's like, idea. it's not even close, bro. <laughs> idea. Okay. Yeah, a vagina. <laughs> it's, it's a thing that vagines. It's a thing. That's a Louis bit. Is that a Yeah, it is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did, I've never heard it. But again, I haven't it's watched. It's fucking great. I haven't seen stand-up since 2004. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway. On my not re- a fan, I see. On my return from Canada... I went about my work and business as I normally did, and I began to notice that not as many prison officials were talking with me. Orders weren't coming in as expected. Now, you got to remember, Fred, he sells electrocution equipment. Okay? This is his life's work. The wardens and commissioners were receiving very heavy pressure from Jewish groups. Well, it gets worse. They come after Fred in a big way. They're Come after his credit, his they're, business, they're picketing. His, his car, car loan, everything. We see the pickets. Elector lies. And that's the thing. They go for pronouncing his last name to Lukter, to Lecter, to Lachka. Yeah. It's great. <laughs> Jesus Christ. We bear witness. Remember, six million. Well, time to meet Shelly Shapiro. She's the director of Holocaust uh, Survivors. Shapiro-skis. She's the good old director. Good Shapiro. Let's go. Of Holocaust Survivors and Friends Education Center. 
She says there is no slippery slope for Mr. Luchter. The man is an anti-Semite. There are hate mongers in this country, and he's one of them. He handed over his entire life and reputation to the cause of spreading hate. He did not stop. He kept going. He could have gotten out at any time. Right. He could have gotten out of hating the Jews at any time. We would, we would have let him out of the contract. Correct. Well, time to meet Suzanne Tabaski. She's a Holocaust <laughs> educator and activist. With the last name Tabaski? Tabaski. That's like me asking you for Tabasco. Mm. Pass the Tabaski, dog. It's like you bombing. Yeah, uh, come on. Pass the Tabaski. I put everything. I say <laughs> I put ski on everything. It's not that. You do. You do. She <laughs> says, what kind of man is he? And why is he doing this? And what kind of reflection is this upon our community? To me, he looks like he's almost under a spell. And I think he is. <laughs> he's under his own spell. The German spell. He truly believed what he was doing was right. Well, I testify in Canada for two reasons. First, uh, the trial <clears throat> was an issue of freedom of speech and freedom of belief. And as an American, one who supports the Bill of Rights, I believe Mr. Zundel has the right to believe and say what he chooses. I have this right in the United States. Secondly, Mr. Zundel was not on trial for misdemeanor. This <laughs> for misdemeanor. This was a major felony. Yeah. He could have faced up to 25 years in prison for printing a document stating that there were no gas chambers in Auschwitz. I believe that any man, no matter what he's done, has a right to a fair trial and the best possible defense that he can muster. I, unfortunately, was the only expert in the world who could provide that defense. <laughs> yeah. There was nobody else. <laughs> so you can see Fred really values his, quote, expertise, unquote. Yeah. <clears throat> well, Shelley says, I don't think he's naive. I think he was empowered by being part of this group. Who is this guy? The bottom line here is you got a guy who basically made a deal with the devil. Right. Well... Zundel disagrees. Fred Luther is hero. Obviously. Not, not every generation gets a George Washington oh or a Thomas Jefferson. Jesus. Our generation's hero, maybe I'm more humble. That's a quite hysterical statement. Yeah. Well, Tabaski says Fred got involved in this. Let him talk. <laughs> Let him talk. Let's see what he has to say. Fred got involved in this and wanted to play the game. And I think he thought it was a game at first. I really believe he did. Now, it's nice to fly to Canada, to go to Poland, and he got paid a lot of money and come back and have a lot of attention brought on him. I think he really dug it. I think he really thought that this was great. I pity him. Well, Robert Jean Van Pelt, the historian that, of course, uh, we're going to talk about more later because he did a lot of fact-checking on Fred's work. He says, in April 1988, there was still opportunity for Fred to redeem himself to apologize, to apologize for having gone down in that hole. But he chose not to consider the evidence of his own foolishness. Holocaust denial is a story about vanity. It's a way to get in the limelight, to be noticed, to be someone, maybe to be loved. I have sympathy to Fred, who was lost in Auschwitz, because I think he's lost, but not anymore with Fred, who appears at these conferences. Okay, well, next we see Fred at the dais at a conf conference and he's getting huge applause and he's just standing there with a shit eating grin, just soaking it in. Yeah. 
And he does well at these rallies. Oh, he's crushing, bro. Is it just like a bunch of white people? We're going to get to a few of his speeches. <laughs> oh, no. Well, is there but, a lot of sla- table slamming? Oh, Pew yeah. Podium slamming? Yeah. Is it really? It's like, it's like all, you know. Wow. It's very KKK out almost. No, I mean, it reminds you of Hitler. Yeah. <laughs> You're ignored, going. Van Pelt says. You're despised by many people. And then there is a home. And the home is the Institute for Historical Review. You ever hear of them? No. Well, you're going to learn a lot about them today. Okay. You get to make new friends. You go to the conference, then you go to the second one, and a third, and a fourth. And it's nice to get uh, up and stand behind a lectern and have people applaud. They they compare your logic with that of any university professor. (laughs) Logic. Maybe it's about choosing the right friends. Yeah. Well, we see... Mr. Death, speaking at the Ninth International Revisionist Conference. My paper is entitled The Luke to Report. The how and the why. 1988 was very informative and likewise a disturbing year for me. I was appalled to learn that much of what I was taught in the school about the 20th century history in World War II was a myth, if not a lie. I was first amazed, then annoyed, And then aware that the myth of the Holocaust was dead. Mm. He went full retard. Okay. Yeah. So let's go to... Blackface and retard at the same time. Let's go to London. Um, And Shelley says, Fred Luchter put blinders on himself. He sat there through those speeches in neo-Nazi rallies in Europe as he heard Jews vilified. Whether he belonged to a group beforehand is not relevant. He joined and took part for many years. I think Fred Luchter, when he was called upon, became one of them. Well, this is Fred speaking at the Ninth International Revisionist Conference. I did this, but because of what I've seen... the Ninth Revision? I have a compelling edge and perhaps a responsibility to countless generations who come after me a responsibility to the truth while the crowd erupts. All right. I thank you, ladies and gentlemen. I hope I've lived up to your expectations. And now I will entertain you with questions. So Wonderful. He, th- he throws out that shit-inning grin. Well, Zundel says the Lecter report, about 500,000 circulated in Germany. No thanks to him, of course. Right. There have been translations. Uh, Lukter edition appeared in Russian, in Latvia, in Hungary, and in, in Spanish. The Lukter report is out there in dozens of languages. And I would dare say millions of copies. We will not go down in history as being a nation of genocidal maniacs. We will not. We can, with historical truth, detoxify a poison planet. Well, reporter speak, uh, jumps in here and she says, Holocaust survivors and friends has asked the Massachusetts board... Some charged rhetoric. ...of registration... <laughs> Detoxifying. ...of engineers to investigate whether Luchter is properly credentialed. Last week, the board's chief investigator... Uh-huh, and then they start looking into all the certifications because you know who runs them all? Who? The government. Well... They're basically saying Luchter never had an engineering degree in Massachusetts. Uh-oh. And if he's working and soliciting business, he could be liable for criminal charges. <laughs> well, Fred has a response. He says, I, I have no question that this is a conspiracy. 
They even pressured the engineering board here in Massachusetts into bringing a criminal complaint against me for practicing engineering without being registered. Less than 10% of the engineers in the state are licensed or registered, but I'm the only one that was ever prosecuted for practicing without a license. Well, we see a, a, paper, a newspaper headline that says, quote, expert, unquote, on execution is charged with lying about his credentials. Well, Zundel's response is, did Christ have a diploma in Christianity? Oh, God. Did Marx have a diploma in Marxism? Well, I think Christ had a diploma in Judaism. <laughs> did Adolf Hitler have a diploma in National Socialism? No, they did not. But they knew one hell of a lot about the field. Hold on. Yeah. He's comparing himself right now to Hitler and Christ. Now, he's excusing Fred and saying, look, Fred didn't have a an engineering degree. I know that, but I'm just saying he used Christ and Hitler in his... Yeah, he's comparing them. He's, he's saying, like, oh, look... Hitler didn't have a degree in correct. social... And Christ, I mean, like... <laughs> well, they didn't have it all back then. Yeah, he's like, okay, you shouldn't so, be using those examples. Well, yeah, he's a moron. I have... He's like a general... You know, it's like, you know, you, anyway, continue. I'm just going to. I have half of a lethal injection machine, which belongs to the state of Delaware. We had a contract to repair the lethal injection machine and to repair their gallows and write their protocol for hanging. I was told that the deputy attorney general, Mr. Fred Silverman, would not allow me to complete the contract. A conference call was set up between corrections officials and the deputy attorney general and several other attorney generals whom I had worked with in terms of the development of the hanging procedure. And Fred Silverman told me that I cannot be allowed to deal with the state of Delaware because I testified in Canada. They did not pay me for the $7,000 of work that I put into the repair of the machine. I lost all the contract work for the gallows. And the state has effectively said, if you take half the machine and you've got it and stick it someplace. <laughs> So I put an ad out in the one advertiser. The second week that the ad was running, someone saw the ad, determined that the instrument shouldn't be sold because I was the one selling it. Well, we see the ad of Fred's half of an execution machine. <laughs> and it reads, execution device, control module for lethal injection me uh, machine, being sold for $10,000. Huh. Fred's out of cash. So he, so he just, that's cool. He just owns half the machine. Correct. So they like, take the lethal half, I guess. He's just, he has the, the control inject, module that, could take the with the keys. injection half. Yeah. And he's like, I got to get my cash because Delaware's not going to let me finish the contract. So I'm going to try and offload this in the recycler magazine what? or Craigslist. Who the fuck buys that? Yeah, he'd be surprised. Subsequently, there was write-ups in both major Boston newspapers, and pressure was again applied to the DA's office and the attorney general's office to prosecute me for selling the machine. And it was necessary for the attorney general's office to explain in the newspaper that it is not illegal to sell a lethal injection machine to anybody. It's not. I was thinking about it. It's just a mechanical device. Like, well, and it's only half of one. Yeah. Okay. And it's just a, it's just a, it's actually probably a pretty nifty thing to use for some things. You could probably use it to like feed a bunch of uh, paint into one tube for like a yeah, tattoo I mean, artist. Yeah, if you're an engineer, <laughs> you, you're going to be able to do something, something with this. With it. Um, obviously, you're not going to pay MSRP. No. You're going to be like Fred. 
Yeah, it's he used. only got half of, half of an electrocution machine. Yeah, it's used and incomplete. Come on. So how does like two grand sound? Yeah, two grand. I'm and I'll give you a free untaxed. tattoo. Yeah. Says the Holocaust didn't happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Delaware turned out to be a major problem, but I still have that machine. And anybody who is interested in buying half of a lethal ejection machine can contact me, and it's available for the cost of the repairs. It's hilarious. Well, remember Fred's wife, Carolyn? The, the fucking drab bitch. I went a lot of places oh, that I God. probably wouldn't have gone. Lobotomized. But basically, it was a nightmare. Sounds like she was in the lethal injection machine. He had a job offer from California. He thought I was going with him. He thinks maybe some sunshine will help me. I told him he could give the speeches. He could do whatever he wanted, but I would not be there. I told him I went to a lawyer, and I explained to him that, yes, I could get a divorce. Is this lady fat or skinny? She's not pretty. But she's fat or skinny? She's fat. Okay. And you have to leave here. I don't want you here. And he hemmed and hawed and whatever, but he left like a week later. When he left... He took his phone. The other phone was being shut off. The gas and electric was being shut off. And that's how he left. If I never saw him again, that'd be fine. Well, this is an amazing shot. We see a lonely dangling execution machine key on the console um, that's plugged into the machine. But the key ring itself is a little plastic thing that has an electric chair on it okay jesus christ <laughs> so somehow it's pretty it's like that's fucking yeah. somehow yeah he literally got an electric chair keychain keychain oh this will be great for my <laughs> little injection machine great ah oh. oh, like where do you, where do you uh, get one yeah it's, it's the little things in life oh uh, where do you get one i, I ordered it from uh, ebay i think you have to make it yeah, just... the guy that brought me <laughs> out there he didn't have any money. This is in California. He wound up with everybody suing him and all kinds of he stuff. He used a lethal injection molding machine. So, Stupid. I, so I said, well, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not getting anywhere out here. I was locked out of my hotel room three times. It's kind of tough when they take your car away and they drop you off on the freeway. You're looking around trying to figure out how the hell you, you're going to get back in your apartment. And then you find you got this super-sized doorknob on your knob, so you can't even put the key in. And all your clothes and your razors inside of there. I had my car taken away from me while I was driving it on the freeway. Wow. I had another car taken away in a garage. These are rental cars, okay, that had been assigned to me. It's pretty tough when you're out in the middle of nowhere all by yourself. Well, do you remember David Irving, the uh, revisionist Doesn't historian? Doesn't it cost more to drive across California than to just fly? Yeah, no, he when he got out here. Oh. He rented a car. Yeah. And and, and it got and it people got for and it got uh, repossessed. They kept getting repossessed and then Reynolds They literally show his apartment getting repossessed and he goes to put the key in it and it's got a doorknob yeah. thing on it. So, David Irving, the revisionist historian that assisted with the, the Zundel trial, he says he's been destroyed as a human being. He's had his marriage destroyed. He's had his life destroyed. I frankly am surprised he didn't go and commit suicide, jump under a train. He saw everything. He had built up in his own quiet, humble way, destroyed by these people he had never met, whom he'd uh, offended. All he did was take the bucket and spade and go over to Auschwitz and come back with the samples. 
and that was an act of criminal simplicity. He has no idea of what he was blundering into. He wasn't putting his name on the line because he had no name. He came from nowhere, and he went back to nowhere. Of course I'm not an anti-Semite. I have a lot of friends that are Jewish. <laughs> that old trope. <laughs> yep. I've lost Jewish friends uh, because of what's happened. I bear no ill will to any Jews, any place, whether they're in the United States or abroad. I bear a great deal of ill will to those people that have come after me, those people who have persecuted or prosecuted me, but that's got nothing to do with them being Jewish. That only has to do with the fact that they've been interfering with my right to live, think, breathe, and earn a living. As far as being a revisionist at this point, I'm not an official revisionist, but I guess I'm a reluctant revisionist. It's my belief that there were no gas chambers at Auschwitz, Birkenau, and Madinek. If that makes me a revisionist, then so be it. They've expressed their unquestioned intent of destroying me simply because I testified in Canada, not because I have any other affiliation with any anti-Semitic organization, uh, not because I'm uh, affiliated with uh, any Nazi or neo-Nazi organization. I have no work. I haven't sold a piece of equipment in almost three years. And I have no idea if this situation is going to change. Well, we see an image of Ernst Zudel marching down a street, and he's carrying a huge wooden crucifix over his right shoulder. Ah, And the sign on it says freedom of speech. Subtle. Well, Earl Morris makes um, his first appearance in the documentary off camera, and he says, have you ever thought that you might be wrong, or do you think that you could made a, made a mistake? No, I'm past that. What I attempted to turn those facilities into gas execution facilities and was unable to, I made a decision at that point that I wasn't wrong. And perhaps that's why I did it. At least it cleared my mind. So I know that I left no stone unturned. I did everything possible to substantiate and prove the existence of the gas chambers, and I was unable to. And then you just see Fred, and he's just kind of smiling there. Yeah. And we see something come up on the screen. Um, it says, The Legend. Hmm. Well, we see an electric chair in a very cold room, and Fred sits in the chair and buckles himself in. In 1957, I actually had the opportunity for the first time to sit in the chair. There's a legend that goes with the chair relative to prison personnel and their families. There was a youngster, much the same age as I was when I sat in the chair, whose father was God at the institution, who toured the institution, and who sat in the electric chair. Some 10 or 12 years later, he was executed in that same chair for the commission of a murder during an armed robbery. And so the legend grew that prison officials shouldn't allow their children to sit in the electric chair. I kind of sat in that chair waiting for something to happen, but some 20 years later, I wound up making execution equipment instead of being the person that the execution equipment was used on. So maybe the legend got turned around. And maybe we created a new legend, and some good came of that after all. Well... We see one last black and white footage of Fred strapped into an electric chair. And it's kind of like it's a carnival ride. And then we see this little smile slide out of his face. And we fade to black. Yay. So, 
<clears throat> that concludes the documentary. Right. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, mm-hmm. it's in my top 10. Wow, this all is time. A, yeah, this is a four-docker. Wow, full-on four-docklings. Four-on-four docklings. Dockings. It is so expertly crafted. The wow. subject is beyond fascinating. Right. Um, he's Errol like, knocks it out of the park again. He just does Is his name spelled E-R-R-O-L? Correct. Nice. I got it that just, right. He doesn't see... He's one of these people, and I've said this before, you can't cast a guy like this. Yeah. Okay? Because he's too much of a wacky character to be believed. Sure, I get that. I mean, he's got some wacky ideas. <laughs> so I highly recommend the documentary. Now, I've got a couple notes, um, which I found interesting. All of the states which bought one of Lukter's lethal injection machines, they have since subsequently stopped using them because they were too difficult to operate and maintain. Yeah. Now, Morris when he was working on the cut of this film, he made a rough cut and he showed it to colleagues and friends. And in that cut, it only had Lukter interviewed. And it was Morris's intention that the audience would understand he was saying things either as lies or flat out wrong. So meaning he had taken out all everything. It was just a one-on-one interview because uh-huh. he wanted to have his face up there the whole time. Sure. Well, he was advised to go to Auschwitz and dig deeper so that there would be no doubt for the audience that Lukter was wrong. So mm. that's when he went to uh, you know, Poland and shot on location to kind of bring that home. They were, his friends were like, they're like, we, we need to we need to do this so that like we need to like show him that he's wrong. Correct. <laughs> but they were like, dude, don't worry. He, no, we're all gonna know for sure this guy's bonkers. Yeah. So you can you can walk out of you know the the framework that you constructed here. Right. Um, so some notes on Fred. He's still alive. Born in forty three. All right. Now same here as my dad. By his own eighty account, years old. You're great at math. Um, when he was uh, consulting with all the other states, he lost all the contracts as soon as all this came out. Yeah. Now, he aggressively solicited business, and in 1985, the state of New Jersey purchased his proposal for a lethal injection system for $30,000. So he was making some decent cash. Well, um, he got paid thirty grand from Zundel as an expert witness. Wow. Okay. So he did it for the money. Yep. Well, I think he did it, like, like they say, because what's that fucking wasn't there a movie called hero with dawson hoffman it's that whole idea that you're a simpleton and somebody chooses you and you're immediately special and it is your chance to make it in the the spotlight yeah you're charging 30k no but it doesn't matter if you're right or wrong yeah or what the opinion is once you get heat on you you need the attention and then you can't stop Mm -hmm. so Anyway, um, Zundel, of course, his publishing company is the one that put out the Lecter report. And we talked about this in the last episode. When he's in court, they only accepted um, his report as evidentiary display and not direct evidence. So as a result of that, he was therefore required to explain it and testify to the validity of the conclusions under oath during the trial. Now, 
When he was called upon to defend the report in the capacity of an expert witness, the court ruled he had neither the qualifications nor experience to act as such. So in court, Lecter claimed that his conclusions were based on his expert knowledge of gas chamber operation, his visual inspection, and what remained of the structures at Auschwitz and original drawings and blueprints from the facilities. He said the blueprints had been given to him by Auschwitz Museum officials. Lecter admitted he was not a toxicologist and dismissed the need for having a degree in engineering. Well, the court brought this up and they said, how do you function as an engineer if you don't have an engineering degree? And Fred responded, well, I would question, Your Honor, what an engineering degree is. I have a Bachelor of Arts degree and I have the required background training both on the college level and in the field to perform my function as an engineer. And the court says, who determines that, you? Well, he admitted that he only had a BA from Boston University because at the time they didn't offer engineering degrees, okay? Well, that was bullshit, okay? Mm. Then You don't say. He also claimed that he had gotten the blueprints from Auschwitz, and they... The Auschwitz Museum declined that and said he never even came in the gift shop or yeah. whatever. They're yeah, like, yeah. we never saw him. So the judge, uh, whose name was Ronald Thomas, uh, labeled Lukter's mythology as ridiculous and preposterous, dismissing many of the report's conclusions on the basis that they were based on secondhand information. He also refused to allow him to testify on the effect of Zyklon B on humans because he had never worked with the substance and was neither a chemist nor a toxicologist. And he basically said, Lecter's opinion has no greater value than that of an ordinary tourist. In regard to Lecter's opinion, he also said, his opinion on this report is that there were never any gassings and there were never any exterminations carried out in this facility. As far as I'm concerned, from what I've read, he is not capable of giving that opinion. When questioned on the functioning of the crematoria, the judge also prevented Lukter from testifying because of his lack of expertise. Well, Lukter also claimed that uh, consultation relating to sodium cyanide and hydrogen cyanide with DuPont was an ongoing thing. Well, DuPont said, we've never heard of this fucking guy, <laughs> okay? Yeah. We never talked to him, all right? We never gave him any information. Now, there, there's a big issue in trial based on Prussian blue. Do you okay. ever hear about it? Mm, is that some sort of, sort of cool-ass crack? <laughs> some new age crack? <laughs> some fucking, give me some of that Prussian blue, baby. Um, it's weird because I just saw a Dateline episode on this where uh, a woman uh, tried to kill a guy using Prussian blue. Mm -hmm. And the only way she got caught is there was an alert doctor on staff that mm. knew about Prussian blue as a poison Whoa. and chose to test for it. Whoa. So anyway, um, Lukter's opposition to the possibility of homicidal gassings at Auschwitz relied on the residual cyanide remains found in the homicidal gas chambers and delousing chambers at Auschwitz. So both facilities were exposed to the same substance, Zyklon B, 
Many of the delousing chambers were stained with an iron-based compound known as Prussian blue, which is not apparent in the homicidal gas chambers. You see these pictures? I looked at them. They're just these massive blue things on the wall. Uh, I, and I guess it's from a chemical reaction. It's not only this disparity that Lecter cites, but accordingly, from his samples, that he claims he measured much more cyanide in the delousing chambers than in the gas chambers, which he argued is inconsistent between the amounts necessary to kill human beings and lice. Um, so this argument of his became one of the Holocaust deniers' marching cries. Well, according to uh, Richard J. Green, in order for Lugder uh, to demonstrate the significance of his findings, it is necessary to prove the necessity of Prussian blue formation under the conditions that the gas chambers were operated. Showing that the delousing chambers have Prussian blue and the homicidal gas chambers do not proves nothing. It, uh, it cannot be shown that conditions in the gas chambers were such to produce Prussian blue. In other words, he's basically saying Lukterfield to show the Prussian blue would have been produced in the gas chambers in the first place, meaning its absence is not itself proof that right. gassings took place. Well, there was a follow-up investigation to what Lukter had done, and it was coordinated, this is 1990, so it was like two years after the trial, and it was uh, coordinated by Professor John uh, Markowitz, uh, who is the director of the Institute of Forensic Research known as the IFRC. Um, and this was in Krakow. And he conducted an experiment where iron compounds were excluded. And given the ruins of the gas chambers of Birkenau had been exposed to accumulative 35 meters of precipitation based on climate, climatological records, uh, they were not optimistic at being able to detect cyanides because of that time had passed. Mm -hmm. So Lukter said he detected in the ruins of the crematoria, the cyanide he found are merely the result of fumigation. Okay. Uh -huh. Not gas, gassing fumigation. people. So the IFRC pointed out that the control samples he took from living areas, meaning not in the gas chambers, um, uh, may have been fumigated only once because they have record of a 1942 typhus epidemic. Uh, but they tested negative for cyanide, uh, and the typhus epidemic occurred before the crematoria in Birkenau even existed. Now, there's also more evidence that the gas chambers existed because Heinrich Himmler, uh. before everything was going down, he there's official documentation where he ordered the SS to hide evidence of genocide. And, you know, that's when all the bricks were like ripped out of their foundations, yeah. you know, down to the, the ruins. A well, likely story. <laughs> so let's talk about Zyklon B, shall we? Sure. Remember when Lecter uh, was talking and he's like, it would have exploded people. <laughs> it yeah. would have killed them. Yeah. Well, uh, hydrogen cyanide is explosive, but Lecter maintained that the gas chambers could never have been operated due to their proximity to the ovens at the crematoria. And it is correct that hydrogen cyanide is explosive, but only at concentrations of 56,000 parts per million and above. 
mm-hmm. over 186 times more than the lethal dose at 300 parts per million. So that argument was ridiculous as well. Right. And that's just because he's not a chemist. <clears throat> right. I didn't even know that, that like sure. certain parts per million, something can be explosive. Yeah. It's kind of fascinating. Yeah. So we're going to talk about the ventilation. Um, the other thing that cited in uh, the report in response to Lecter's report was that he, if he'd gone to the archives, he would have found ev- evidence that there were ventilation systems, which he denied existed, and evidence about ways to introduce Zyklon B into the buildings. Now, there are actual Nazi blueprints at right. cre- Crematorium 2 uh-huh. labeled Lichen Killer, ah. which stands for Corpse Cellar. Oh, not anything to do with killing. <laughs> you saw, yeah, so, so he didn't even bother to, you know, yeah, it's stupid. look that up. So he had incorrectly assumed that the gas chambers were not ventilated. The basement gas chambers of Crematoria 2 and 3 were mechanically ventilated via motors in the roof space. Now, they show diagrams of all this. This is crazy. And it's just like, bro, all you had to do was just go look at this stuff. Yeah. Well... When um, ventilation was not used in some of the crematoriums, um, the, I'm going to probably not pronounce this right. Sonder commando prisoners, they wore gas masks when removing the bodies. Right. So they didn't even wait for it to clear out. Yeah. They were like, yeah. we, we, we're got, going to now. we got a tight schedule to run here. Yep. So um, that was kind of fascinating just thinking about that. And then there was a, uh, um, remember when Lukter was saying, he's like, they could have only done like 187 bodies a day. Right. Well, there's documentation that they found that, uh, no, Lukter said 156, but there was documentation from an SS Sturbenfuhrer uh, named Jarling huh. uh, stating that the crematory installations had a collective daily capacity of 4,756 corpses. Right. Lukter conceded that this was quite different from his own figure. Sure. And that he had never seen the document in question. Yeah. This is on the stand. No kidding. <laughs> yeah. So um, a patient, uh, excuse me, a patent application by the makers of the ovens. Um <laughs> Yeah, the fucking oyster. What isn't there? Isn't there a brand called Oyster? I don't know. Is or there like that makes appliances? Well, that was more refuting evidence. They're like, bro, it's we, like a Frigidaire. They patented this oven specifically for <laughs> yeah, this. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. So, more on his lab tests. Volvo, <laughs> Volkswagen, Volkswagen, and Volvo. We got the nice. Uh, we got the patent. Um, regarding the lab tests, uh, the small quantities detected would indicate, this is Fred from Fred's notes, that at some point these buildings were deloused with Zyklon B, as were all the buildings at these fa- facilities. Lecter compared the low amounts in the crema to the higher readings in his positive control sample. Now, he did not examine the walls of the gas chambers until 50 years uh, afterwards. So everybody's like, dude, you're not going to find anything. Um, tests were conducted on ventilation grates immediately after the end of the war, which showed substantial amounts of cyanide. Uh, the chambers, of course, were then demolished by the Nazis when they left Auschwitz. And the facilities Lecter examined were, of course, partially reconstructed. 
So Lecter was unaware that parts of the camp and chambers had been reconstructed, so he had no way of knowing if the bricks he was scraping were actually the bricks from the original gas I chamber. I would have said there's a way of knowing. You go ask some fucking experts that are like, they're like, no, stupid. You, you know? can't ask an expert when you are the expert. Yeah, That's the ego exactly. thing that was all behind exactly. this There's shit. no way I could have known. Yeah. So... um Let's talk about um, his late in life career. Sure. <laughs> so the back end of his career, he did get some press. Oh. So after the Zundel trial, he was featured in both the Atlantic Monthly, and he went on primetime live, and the Monthly Atlantic. And uh, you know, he was speaking about capital punishment, but right. he refused to associate in these uh, uh, interviews with Zundel. So after following his involvement in the Zundel trial, this is when he began all the lecturing and hanging out with the Institute of Historical Review. So I have a speech that I pulled from a conference that he attended from 1992. And this starts out with a weird sentence, and I couldn't make sense of it, but then I fact-checked it, and it was correct. It says, in this case, it is myself that I, post-mortem, and the cadaver isn't dead. Much to the dismay of my executioners, the execution was so badly botched that I am able to stand here before you to speak the truth and to tell the world that it is not myself, but the Holocaust story is dead. I repeat on the record, I was condemned for maintaining there were no execution chambers at Auschwitz, Birkenau, Madianak, Dachau, Mauthausen, or Hartham Castle. There's no proof for the charge. Only innuendo, lies, and half-truths. Robert Fisarian, Ernst Zundel, and others said this first. They, too, live as victims of botched executions, but nevertheless free to speak the truth in a strong and growing voice that repeats, no gas chambers, no gas chambers, no goddamn gas chambers. Jesus Christ. Yeah, I know, he's fucking full retard. Because I was somewhat naive at the time, I was not aware that by testifying, I was offending the organized world Jewish community. By providing final definitive proof that there were no execution gas chambers utilized for genocidal purposes by the Germans at these wartime camps, I established the simple fact that the Holocaust story is not true. What I did not know... Was that anyone... <laughs> the Holocaust fairy tale. <laughs> ...expressing such beliefs is guilty of a capital crime. That of thinking and telling the unspeakable truth about the greatest lie of the age, I would have to pay for this crime. While I innocently told the truth to Toronto, plans were made and subsequently implemented for a major effort to destroy me. If I could be destroyed and discredited, so the reasoning went, no one would accept my... Professional findings, no matter how truthful. Well, then he got arrested. Right after that? Yeah. Like right after this, before the speech? Yeah. Hell yeah. That's some rock and roll shit. <laughs> like right, right there. afterwards. And the UK is like, bro, you gotta go. That's some Lenny Bruce shit right there. Yep. <laughs> what did I just say yep for? That is not some Lenny Bruce shit. Yeah, it is. Okay, that's not talking about doing it or getting a blowjob, all right? In 1960s uh, America. Doing it, getting a blowjob, hate speech, it's all the same. So, yeah, it's not. 
<laughs> what a pussy you are. Well, afterwards, he can't get work. So it's reported that he started work as a telemarketer. <laughs> yeah, look, <laughs> let me tell you, I've got some lovely rubber nipples. These are the best rubber nipples you've ever seen in your life. By the way, if you're not interested in these rubber nipples, I have, I have, half, a, half, I have half an execution machine at home. For home. Yeah, in uh, Delaware. Sticker price is $10,000. I just put it up on Craigslist at uh, or best offer. So if you don't want the rubber nipple rings, uh, you sure I can text you a picture of it. Of course, this would be uh, not uh, um, directly resolved or incorporated with the nipple ring uh, I'm about to sell you. So we would have to have a cash transaction Bob's under the big table. nipple rings. <laughs> so um, it go, gets worse for Fred. Uh, in 1990, a Newsweek reported um, an assistant attorney general from Alabama. Uh, Ed Carnes having called Lecter's views on the gas chamber unorthodox and alleging that Lecter was running a death row shakedown scheme. Oh. So if the state didn't purchase his services, he would testify at the last minute for a condemned man that they were trying to, you know, carry out an execution with. <laughs> and he'd say, you cannot do, uh, you cannot kill this man because that machine could malfunction. Yeah. So... That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, he was pissed, That's man. fucking awesome. He pulled out man. his own little scam. That's fucking legit, dude. Yep. That's like that's like the top end of ambulance chasing almost. You don't even need to be a lawyer for that. I think he was just so fucked beyond recognition. He was like, I, I've got bills to pay. I, I drink 40 cups of coffee a day. Yeah. Coffee doesn't grow on trees. <laughs> you know it's a diuretic? I do know it's a diuretic. Dryuretic. Dryuretic. Like that like his wife. Uh she's as dry and retic as you can get. Uh so anyway, the AP quoted Carnes as claiming that Lecter had made money on both sides of the fence. Uh so he's like, I'll sell you my machine. And yeah, then, so the Mexicans. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um in his memorandum to death penalty states, Carnes observed that in Florida and Virginia, the federal courts had rejected Lukter's testimony as unreliable. The court in Florida had found that Lukter had misquoted uh, the statements contained in an important affidavit and had inaccurately surmised a crucial premise of his conclusion. In Virginia, Lukter provided a death row inmate's attorney with an affidavit claiming the electric chair would fail. The Virginia court denied, or excuse me, decided the credibility of Lukter's affidavit was limited because Lukter was the refused contractor who bid to replace the electrodes in the Virginia chair. Great. His head's going to fry, I tell you. You cannot put those electrodes on his head. That's you hilarious. don't have the correct glue. I'm telling you, I do this for a living. You have to get my Lukter <laughs> <Luke-ta> glue. Lukter <laughs> glue from Acme. Um... <sighs> So he once he got that charge um, for not doing not having a license, he went on a big thing and he was like, this is a bullshit law. It's been around since 1940 and there's no record of any prosecutions. Now, he probably was right that you, you didn't really have to have an engineering license and he yeah, was the only one that got hit. Yeah. But um he attributed the actions um, as uh, pressure from Jewish groups. You fucking think? Obviously. Now, Dave, I'm sure you've been asking, what happened to Ernst Zundel? 
Yeah, what happened to him? Did he did fucking did he uh, get put on that cross he was holding? There's some really interesting stuff I found about him. I would do want to give you a little background. Uh, thankfully, the fucker's dead. Died Aww. five years ago, so we got that going for us. That's awesome. So it's important to note he was German, and um, you don't say. Yeah, he was. He was from um, the Black Forest, where they make the ham. Where they, <laughs> where they make the where they make the gummy bears. Yeah, the Haribos. Yeah, no, stupid. Those are made in Turkey, you motherfucker. Haribos are Turkish. Yes, I can't eat those. Why? Because they're Turkish. They're amazing. We put uh, Armenians don't. They don't buy Turkish products. Oh, that's the best. No, Black Forest. Him. Black Forest, fucking gummy bears. The old school ones. The bears. The green pack. The one from your childhood. Yeah, those are the best ones. Black Forest? Black Forest. They fucking suck. Haribos have this oily texture on them. Yeah, it's it tastes Turkish like coconut. oil. It's fucking... It's so good. They, after after they have their Turkish oil wrestling in the giant fields, that's where they get the oil from. What, comes off their bodies? Comes off their bodies. Goes no, right onto the cartilage of a pig and then into your stomach. Yeah. Nasty. I mean, it, Nasty. The, they'll loosen you up. Yeah, they, yeah they do. <laughs> Turk will, do, will loosen you up too a little bit in your asshole. All right. So anyway, his father was a Out prisoner of, of war. Um, from uh, World War One, I, I think, um, and he didn't come come back till forty seven. So maybe it was the Second War. I don't know. Anyway, so he gets into art school, and then he immigrates to Canada. And, <laughs> I know, <laughs> following, somebody else, following somebody else's path. Huh? I think that's why. So no, come yes, he's like, well, it was good enough for Hitler, and it was good enough for well, me. Well, keep in mind when he immigrated in '58, it was to avoid uh, being conscripted into the army. Yeah, so he was a draft dodging little bitch. They, they would have never believed that motherfucker wasn't Jewish. Well, he married a Canadian in 1960, and this is when he meets. Oh, this is in Dell, everybody. What? No, I'm, I'm thinking of Lecter. Luther. No, no, this we're is talking the, about the German. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My bad. So when he when he gets to Canada, he uh, comes under the spell of a Canadian fascist politician named Adrian Arcand. Uh -huh. He gets married, and this time he starts publishing all this hatred. Rhetoric. Correct, but he uses a, a pen name called Christoph Friedrich. Huh. Okay. So, Christoph Friedrich. Um, in the late seventies. Uh, he becomes the spokesperson for the concerned parents of German descent. All right. And then he starts protesting because NBC released a miniseries called The Holocaust. And he's like, I don't like the way you're talking about Germans. Well, he got unmasked by a reporter. Um, and they're like, hey, Christoph Friedrich, we know it's you. And we know you wrote a book called The Hitler We Loved and Why. <laughs> Oh, boy. I'm sure not a lot of publishing companies will make that one. <laughs> what a title for a book. That one is self-published. Oh, uh, yeah, through his, his, his company, I believe. Uh, so anyway. I got to um, learn how to make books. He campaigned in Canada to ban Schindler's List as hate speech. Um, and uh, <laughs> I guess it worked because they banned it in Malaysia and uh, Lebanon and Jordan. It's a fucking... It's pretty... It's a pretty like judo move right there. I guess I don't know. Well, bad news. Yeah, he's got a, a house oh. in Toronto, and uh, it's been condemned. No, it was arsoned. Oh, somebody lit it on fire. I wonder why. Yeah. <laughs> so, 
Um, they put a cross on the front. They didn't say. <laughs> they didn't say. Anyway, they caught the guys, um, oh. but apparently no charges were. Ever I filed. wonder why. Mm-hmm. Fucking DA. And then he was uh, targeted with a uh, a parcel bomb. Um, What's that? You know, like Ted Kaczynski, a mail bomb. Oh, parcel. Like, parcel bomb. Yeah, like yeah. Shipping parcel. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, by the 1980s, that was some cool like fucking particle bomb. In the 1980s, his publishing company, Samsadat Publishers, had grown into a worldwide distributor of Nazi and neo-Nazi posters, wow, audio tapes, and memorabilia. Well, it's a niche market. Yep. <laughs> so it's a, I was gonna try to agree. go ahead. No, I was trying to niche and Nazi, whatever. So he also distributed pamphlets and books devoted to Holocaust denial, and he claimed that the Allies and the um, Israelis uh, were responsible for war crimes. Now, he had a mailing list of 29,000 people in the U.S. Wow. Yeah, so he's cranking out some stuff. Now, here's what he's doing. some fucking dogs out there. He's purchasing ads in American magazines and even comic books. Get the kids started early, I guess, is his thinking. So then he finds out West German uh, is his biggest market that he hasn't tapped. So there was... um, The home of the KKK. (laughs) There was something called the... Volksher Hetzung, which Volksher Hetzung, yep, which it, it translates to incitement of the masses. Oh. So he gets popped in Germany for violating that. Oh yeah, which included laws pretend uh, preventing Holocaust denial and dissemination of Nazi and neo-Nazi material. So they're like, "Well, we're not done." So Samsudat is publishing company. They sent direct mailings to every member of the German Parliament. Yeah, it didn't go over well. So um, at that point, they intercepted like, I want to say 200 shipments of all this content. And this is on April 23rd of 81. The West German government sends a letter to the Canadian Jewish Congress confirming that this guy from your country will not stop sending us all this shit, you know. So yep. the Canadian government revokes his right to use the mail. <laughs> <laughs> so what does that even mean? Like, you can't put it in the mailbox? Bro, they're called mailing privileges. That's crazy. Well, yeah. They were like, you, you're sending hate propaganda, and that's a criminal offense in Canada. Uh. Okay? So then Ernst is like, I'll just go across the border and use Niagara Falls as yeah. a mailing address, and I'll circumvent this. Good idea. Well... In 83, Sabina Citron, who was a Holocaust survivor uh-huh. and founder of the Canadian Holocaust Remembrance According Association. This guy, they're all survivors. Yeah, that's right. Filed a private complaint against Zundel before the Canadian Human Rights Tribunal. Well, in 84, the Ontario government joined the criminal proceedings against Zundel based on Citron's complaint. And at this point, he's charged under criminal code section 181 of spreading false news because he published a book called Did Six Million Really Die? The Truth at Last. So he had two trials. I don't trials. suppose they have that in audio form, do they? <laughs> <laughs> Just asking. So 88 wasn't his first trial. 85 was his first trial. Now in that trial, the charge against Zundel alleged that he did publish a statement or tale, namely, Did Six Million Really Die? Not available on audio that he knows is false 
and that is likely to cause mischief to the public interest in social and racial tolerance, contrary to the criminal code. Well, after that trial in 85, he's found guilty. And one of the prosecution witnesses was an Auschwitz survivor named Arnold Friedman, um, who was also a, a Holocaust educator. Hmm. Well, he testified that prisoners marched off to the ovens and never returned. Now, Zundel's lawyer responded, if those who disappeared might not have been let out by a nearby gate... <laughs> He's kinda was there a gate, a door. You know how yeah. fucked up that is? Oh how do you say that with a straight face? <laughs> so th- the whole thing happens though is that his he gets turned over by appeal. Yeah. It gets turned over by appeal. All right. It gets turned over by appeal. Thank but, God. But then the no, no, no. <laughs> the Supreme Court Oh, uh, it's like nah 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 nah. They nah. overturned the Stay appeal. right there, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> Well, let's talk about the 88 trial. Um, this, of course, is when Irving and Luchter enter the picture. And um, in key expert testimony against Zudell's Holocaust denial um, was provided by Holocaust historian Raoul Hilberg, who refused to testify at the 88 trial. Um, well, in 88, he was convicted for 15 months imprisonment by an Ontario court. However, mm-hmm. that shit got overturned. <clears throat> okay? Because the Supreme Court of Canada ruled that reporting false news um, was unconstitutional. Oh. The charge of reporting false news. Right. So then the Canadian Human Rights Commission, the, they get involved. And in 1997... He marries his second wife. That doesn't last long for about 18 months. And she <laughs> testifies against him in late 1990. <laughs> so I guess I don't have that law there. Yeah. Because in the U.S., you can't testify against your husband, right? Yeah. I guess not. Yeah. Anyway, she, the, uh, the charge was for promoting hatred against Jews on his website. Not so, that you can't, but you don't have, you're not compelled to testify against. You're not, you're not forced to. You okay. can't be forced to. Compelled. You can't be compelled to. Got it. So then he um, he uh, leaves Canada and goes to Tennessee, marries his third wife, Ingrid, and says, I'm never going back to Canada. Oh. Well, too bad. The United States is like, get the fuck out. Go we're, to Mexico. We're deporting your ass. <laughs> so, um, yeah, they got him on like a visa waiver overstay. And he gets deported. Well, then at this point, the Germans, they issue a warrant of arrest for incitement of the masses, also known as Volksherzog. <laughs> and, and I got your hexels up. <laughs> and he's at a hearing. And Zudel at this point described himself as the Gandhi of the right. Ah. Uh-huh. Is Never, that like the side I of don't know politics what the fuck that like means. Correct. <laughs> Well, um, he goes uh, back to Canada, but he's not a uh, person of what do you call it when you're in limbo? It's kind of like being at the terminal and that Tom Hanks movie. Yeah, in that purgatage. I guess. So he he tries to get in the waiting lobby. Yeah, he tries to get refugee status in Canada, and um, at this point, that's when um, he's hanging out with all these Aryan Nation leaders like Terry Long. (laughs) <laughs> who I've never heard of, Christian Warch, 
and Richard Gernt Butler. I don't expect you to know your fucking... Good, good. I'm, <laughs> the only reason I'm saying it is because I figured you did. No, no, no. Yeah. I'm not Aryan. No, Caucasian. I know, but like, you know, you know Caucasian. about a lot of this stuff. No, you, I don't. You go down weird rabbit holes, bro. That I do. Okay. So at this point, um, he's at another hearing in Ontario and says, sometimes I feel like a black man being convicted on Ku Klux Klan news clippings. Anyway, remember the old lawyer who's like, they were just walking out. Yeah. You know about that? <laughs> They're just exiting the premises. So he's on another trial. And um, they introduce a surprise witness, and it's a doctor who says, well, Zundel, he's got a tumor in his chest. And, uh, you know, I'm giving him medication that can, like, really screw up his blood pressure, and he could have loss of memory, and he needs exercise and fresh air and freedom (laughs) from stress. So (laughs) thank God, this is a really bad time to have him on trial. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, that one doesn't go well, and they deport him to Germany. So when he gets Damn, double deportation. Yeah. So when he gets to Germany, he's immediately <laughs> arrested. in jail. Oh, Jesus Christ. They immediately detain him in a Mannheim prison. It's almost like everybody's in on it. Uh-huh. Yeah. Because it's the right thing to do. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he's awaiting trial for inciting racial hatred. And he appeals to the UN Human uh, Rights Committee against deportation. That gets rejected. And then uh, he's got another failure to appear on domestic charges or some shit. And um, then he goes on trial. So he goes on trial and um, he's denied the fi- uh, he, he, the indictment that yeah. he's facing. Stated, Zundel denied the fate of destruction uh, for the Jews planned by national socialist power holders and justified this by saying that the mass destruction in Auschwitz and Treblinka, among others, were an invention of the Jews and served the repression and extortion of the German people. So that's what he's under trial for. So it's supposed to be a a five-day trial, and uh, they run into a delay because Judge Ehrlich... Meinzerhagen ruled that his lawyer, Horst Mahler, um, who had a license to practice as a lawyer, was withdrawn in 2004, uh, and he was sentenced to nine months in prison himself for inciting racial hatred. Mm. And he's like, dude, a bunch. you can't have this guy on quite, the defense Quite team. the bunch. You're going to need a new one. Yeah. So then they resume the trial, and his new lawyer... <laughs> His name's Sylvia Stoltz, and she gets removed from the defense team after she repeatedly (laughs) disrupted the trial and had to be dragged out of the court by two bailiffs for signing Heil Hitler on her motions. Jesus Christ. (laughs) No chill with these people. Nope. And then she also, I mean, can you imagine this? She's just like, uh, we imagine like the, the court, the court, the, the artist, court artist, like drawing, <laughs> drawing, drawing her with the hand she's up. She's got on. the hand up. She's got the finger over her, underneath her, underneath her uh, nose to like signify the Hitler mustache. <clears throat> she also was dragged out of the courtroom uh, screaming the Holocaust was the biggest lie in world history and yelled that the judge deserved the death penalty for offering succor to the enemy. 
in 2008, Stoltz was uh, sentenced to three and a half years in prison and stripped of her license to practice law for five years. I didn't do any research to find out oh. what she's up to, but I'd kind Only of be curious years, huh? to know. <laughs> so, okay. <laughs> anyway, the trial resumes and uh, continued off and on for about a year. And then the prosecution concluded its case in January 2007, calling for Zundel to be handed the maximum sentence of five years imprisonment. Uh, the state prosecutor uh, called him a political con man from whom the German people needed protection. After quoting extensively from Zundel's writing on the Holocaust, uh, the state prosecutor argued, you might as well argue that the sun rises in the West, but you cannot change that the Holocaust has been proven. Well, in closing arguments, the defense called for Zundel to be acquitted. And on February uh, uh, 15th of 2007, he was indeed sentenced to five years prison. Now, then he's got to uh, do some pre-trial confinement. I wonder, I wonder which, uh, which, which, <laughs> which Treblinka they sent him to. Yeah. Which gas chamber? No, no, like uh, I wonder if you join any gangs and... <laughs> Do you join the white supremacies in I mean, that's in jail? you. That's your go-to, right? Yeah, yeah. He's the probably, woods. Yeah. Hanging, chilling with the woods. The fucking Black Forest Ham gang? Yeah, Black Forest Ham. Anyway, uh, then he's got pretrial confinement in Canada mm -hmm. uh, that was not taken in account to a sentence, but only the two years he was confined in Germany. And one of his lawyers, Jürgen Rieger, was a leading member of Germany's NPD, and he was forbidden to voice petitions and ruled to put them down in writing. Yeah, he let a, another lawyer read them out loud. Well, the other lawyer just starts reading Mein Kampf, okay? <laughs> His closing Jesus Christ, guys. Yep. So the judge... Sounds like this. You know what I think? What? I think all these people are uh, fucking... Enjoying themselves? They're, I think they're sandbagging. Well... <laughs> The judge... I don't think they're taking this seriously. The judge, in his emotional closing speech, called Zundel a Brunner, a Brunnen Vergergrifter und Bradenstiefer, einen Werger Dieses... I understood Grifter. Uh-huh. Maschen Werkenstaten, Barbaren, Adolf Hitler, von dem Der Dermis Dafferschfeld. That I translates. Heard, I understood some of those words. <laughs> that translates to a well poisoner and arsonist and admirer of the human despising barbarian Adolf Hitler, of whom he rambles on with brash impertinence. It's funny how he used the term poisoning the well. Yeah. Well poisoner. <laughs> um, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I mean, assuming it reads left to right, that's a Brun and Vernon grifter or a Brand Brandon Snifter. <laughs> <laughs> Brand Sniffer. I know. I think Callan's and Brandon Sniffer. Okay, so um, he gets out in 2010, um, and then following the end of his prison term, the Canadian Prime Minister reiterated that you ain't sending him back here. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> it's like he's sent him to an airport. Yep. He's got to live in the airport. Yep, terminalize that motherfucker. So uh, then he decides time to go back home to the Black Forest. Um, so that's where he hung out until he died. Now, of course, the U.S., they barred his ass, too. And they're like, you ain't sending him here. Well, did you know that he was also into UFOlogy? Ah, one of these guys, <laughs> so, huh? 
When he started Samsung Publishers in the 70s, he became interested in ufology. And yeah. that was kind of like the peak of the UFO craze. Sure. Well, his main offerings were in his own books, claiming that flying saucers were secret weapons developed by the Third Reich. Yeah. And now were stored in Antarctica. Wow. Not a lot has changed in conspiracy, it <laughs> seems like. <laughs> Buddy, you're right, because I watched this shit on the History Channel. It's all the same I've watched shit. at least three Hitler yeah. Goes to Antarctica <laughs> on the History Channel. It sounded like a fucking Vern. Hey, Vern. Hitler Goes to Antarctica, Vern. Well, um, according... What was the name of that guy? Vern. Uh, no, Vern was the guy yeah, who was... Yeah. But was you know what I mean, Vern? Yeah. What's that guy's remember. name? Fuck. Somebody will fucking tell us. Yeah, shit. So he also had written several publications promoting the idea that UFOs were craft um, uh, by, that were developed. Ernest. Ernest goes to. Ernest goes to. Hey, Vern, it's Ernest. So he says the UFO were developed by the German scientists, and um, the titles of the books were Secret Nazi Polar Expeditions, released 1978. Hitler at the South Pole, 79. <laughs> Just something like children's books. And more on, you're not going to believe this, Dave. He Can believed, you find Hitler? He believed, Where's Hitler? He believed in Nazi secret polar bases and hollow Micro earth. Si secret Nazi polar bases. Don't let me bury the lead. Sorry. Uh, hollow earth theories. Yeah, Pindar. Okay. So. Gelgamesh. He uh, got together with a guy named Willibad Mattern, who was a German uh, immigrant living in Chile. And they wrote a book together called Nazi Secret Weapon. And they had that translated into English. Now, there is a whole debate here of if Zundel even believed in this shit or they were just fiction. Like, this is part-time thing. He was like, Schattengrifter. yeah. He was like, bro, the Holocaust doesn't exist, but check out my dope science fiction. Okay. <laughs> well, in a, one of his newsletters. And then and then the Klingons build gas chambers to put the whatever's in. He's basically the L. Ron Hubbard yeah, of yeah, his day. Yeah, yeah. So he puts an advertisement in an expedition to Antarctica. Um, excuse me. Let me rephrase that. He advertised an, uh, an expedition to Antarctica to find the bases. Right. And he said, if you want to come along, it's 10 grand for a seat on the exploration team <laughs> to locate the polar entrance to the hollow earth. Hell yeah. Well, they never got around to taking the Aww. expedition, but I'm guessing they got some money. Yeah. Well, the skeptic, the skeptic society in the U.S., uh, they, they started chatting him, and Zudell told him that his book, UFOs, uh, colon, Nazi Secret Weapon, by the way, this became an underground bestseller and went through several printings, was nothing more than popular fiction to build publicity for his publishing company. <laughs> and he said, I realized that North Americans were not interested in being educated. They wanted to be entertained. The book was for fun. With a picture of the Fuhrer on the cover and flying saucers, uh, coming out in Antarctica. Yeah, he fucked up. He should have put like, what if Hitler never built the ovens or something like that? Not, well, what if? There's a method to his madness. He yeah, says, a question mark. it was a chance to get on radio and TV talk shows and then for 15 minutes to talk about this stuff. And then I get what I really wanted to talk about, which was all those Jewish scientists in the concentration camps, <laughs> okay, working on secret weapons. Yeah. And that was my chance to, you know, talk about the big stuff. 
And somebody said, well, do you still stand by what you wrote in the UFO book? Uh, of course, titled Nazi secret weapon, question mark. And he said, look, it has a question mark in the end of the title for a reason. There you go. <laughs> so that I can't be sued. So according to his, uh, his third ex-wife, Irene, she claimed that the positive uh, possibility of Ernst Zundel being partly Jewish bothered him tremendously. So he went back to Germany to search his family archives and was searching for a Third Reich certificate of pure Aryan blood, but was an, uh, unable to find any such document. So he died still thinking it was a possibility that he had Jewish blood. And uh, he croaked out on a heart attack. Something I, I, w I wish upon nobody. <laughs> I mean, I guess he was just like so paranoid. He was like, what if I have Jewish blood? Yeah, I might have to go invade Aust Austria for that. That's up next. Oh, great. Remember David Irving? Nope. Okay, well, he was the one that assisted on Zundel's trial with Lukter. Oh, right, right, right. So right. he is probably the most well-known um, literary um, Holocaust denier. So he's written many, many books, and he was a historian. And he wrote The Destruction of Dresden, Hitler's War, Churchill's War, uh, Goebbels, Mastermind of the Third Reich, and his whole thesis was Adolf Hitler did not know about the extermination of the Jews. Or if he did, he was opposed to it. So his whole thesis for this is there's no documentation anywhere where Hitler ordered the Holocaust. Okay? And he says, I'll offer you a thousand bucks if you can prove me wrong. Well, as of 2019, his offer still stood. Well, do you remember when, this is in the 80s, there was a German news magazine called Stern, and they purchased the supposed Hitler diaries for like uh, no. $9 million. Well, Irving was a pivotal player in this whole thing and was uh, one of the persons that uh, determined that they were a hoax. So according to Irving, he said, Probably the biggest friend of the Jews uh, in the Third Reich was Adolf Hitler. <laughs> he described Quite the statement there. It's a big one. He described Jewish Holocaust survivors as liars, psych, psych, psychiatric cases, and extortionists. Um, and he says the gas chambers that are, are shown to this day at the tourists at Auschwitz—they're all fakes. Uh, this is a great quote. He says more women died on the backseat of Senator Edward Kennedy's car at Chappaquiddick than died at the gas chambers at Auschwitz. That's pretty funny. That would be Mary Jo Kopechnik, I think pretty, he's referring to. Pretty good little joke there. He says, you think that's tasteless? Uh -huh. What about this? I'm forming an association especially dedicated to all these liars, the ones who try to kid people that they were in the concentration camps. It's called the Auschwitz Survivors Survivors of the Holocaust and Other Lies, or Assholes. assholes. <laughs> Was scumbag. I was waiting for it. He says you can't get more tasteless than that. I was waiting for that. But you got to be tasteless because these people deserve our contempt. And in fact, they deserve the contempt of the real Jewish community and people, whatever their class and color, who did suffer. So in 1995, Irving gets confronted by a Holocaust survivor. And uh, he goes up to him, repeats the claim and says, how much money have you made from that piece of ink on your arm? which may indeed be a real tattoo. Half a million dollars, three quarters of a million dollars, just for you alone. This guy's just brutal. Mm. 
Um, he's at a convention in Tampa, and um, he said that Nazi minister of propaganda Joseph Goebbels, uh, well, he agreed with the statement that Goebbels said that the Jews had it coming for him. And then he, I, he goes on this absolutely racist diatribe that I don't even want to repeat here just because it's so gross. Um, but we need to get to his uh, involvement with the, uh, the, the case that Luther was involved with. So he published uh, a foreword to Auschwitz, The End of the Line, and with Luther, and was condemned um, in an early day motion of the House of Commons as Hitler's heirs. So this motion went on to describe Irving as a Nazi propagandist and longtime Hitler apologist. In the motion, the House stated that they were appalled by his Holocaust denial and longtime um, Hitler-loving apologies. In response to condemn them, he wrote, I will enter the gas chambers of Auschwitz, and your friends may lob in Zyklon B in accordance with the well-known procedures and conditions, and I can guarantee you, you will not be satisfied with the results. So then he goes on a lecture circuit, and he says... Okay, look, 30,000 uh, Jews did die between 1940 and 1945, but there were natural causes, okay? Um, he equated these deaths to a typical death toll from one of the bomber command raids in German cities, I'm assuming during the Blitzkrieg, because um, he did write extensively about that. He claimed there were no gas chambers and that the remains that you see today are mock-ups built by the Polish and on April 1990, in April 1990, um, he repeated the speech in Munich and he got uh, his conviction for Holocaust denial in Munich on July 11, 1991. So they fined him seven grand and he appealed. And the judge is like, buddy, it's going to be another 10 grand. Um, makes more of these disparaging mark remarks in the courtroom. And um, he says, fight a battle for German people and put an end to blood lie of the Holocaust, which has been told against this country for 50 years. Um, more just, it's a tourist uh, trap propaganda. And then he says, this judge is senile and an alcoholic cretin. And then Germany says, well, not only are we convicting you, you can never come back to our country. So they're like, get the fuck out. So <laughs> then he, he actually spoke out of Ben Zundel and said, hey, my life was going great till I met you. Uh, and he said, uh, I would be in a better off position had I never even dealt with you and helped you out on your case. And then uh, he gives some more speeches in Austria and uh, it doesn't go well there either. And uh, they find him guilty as a Holocaust denier there. And he's like, well, I got to go. I got a plane to catch. Okay. <laughs> like, yeah, to the next refugee country. <laughs> they're like, dude, it doesn't work that way. And um, you're, uh, you're, yeah. We, <laughs> you, you ain't making the flight. Yeah, you ain't making the flight. <laughs> so they bar him from ever entering uh, Austria. Uh, uh, Aust Austria. No, he was, this says, uh, yeah, Austria. But then the Australians, I guess, got involved, and he was banned oh. from going there as well. 
<laughs> people are just like preemptively banning him. Well, yeah. They're like, no, 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 no. They send it back to the UK and then Italy and Canada. They're Forrest like, Gump dude, they're like, don't come here. Yeah. Can't sit here. Well, then um, Penguin Books. Um, and oh, yeah. The, <clears throat> the uh, money laundering giants. No, what he does is he fall uh, um, files a lawsuit against Penguin Books because an author there named Deborah Lipsch. Lipstadt. Lipschitz. No, it's Lipstadt. Um, she wrote a book called Denying the Holocaust, and they published it in 1993, and they labeled him a Holocaust denier, bigot, and distorter of documents. And he All loses... which are true. He loses the case big Obviously. time. Obviously. And they're like, uh, bro, we're going to need $2 million for the court costs. Uh. And um, he's like, buddy, I'm bankrupt. So he loses his home. And he's since been able to travel to some places around the world despite these financial problems. So, yeah. Gaza. <laughs> I mean, I don't know UAE. where else he can really hang out at these days. Well, then he says, you know what? I am going to go to Australia because they want me to speak at this conference. <laughs> and then, of course they do. And then uh, he gets on the Qantas flight and uh, they're like, dude, you're not coming here, bro. And uh, they banned him from boarding the flight. Um, and Jesus. Yeah, man, this guy gets around. And then he has to kind of crawl back. So uh, some of his statements. So the Austrian police, um, there is a state there called Styria. And they pull out a warrant that's been hanging out since 89. And they arrest him <laughs> for trivializing grossly uh, uh, playing down the denying of the Holocaust. And in his plea, he changed his opinions and said, I said that based on the knowledge I had at the time. But by 1991, when I came across the Eichmann papers, I wasn't saying that anymore, nor would I say that now. The Nazis did murder millions of Jews. Well, <laughs> thankfully. <laughs> That's pretty fucked up when you think about it. In December 2006. Say, All right, they killed him. Fuck. He gets released from prison. So I guess he does a year in Austria. Oh. And then um, he, as soon as he lands in the UK. It's child's play. He says, I no longer show any remorse for the ho my Holocaust views. As soon as he lands. So then he starts a website. In 2099, selling Nazi memorabilia. Again, these guys who <laughs> crack on the computer, dude. Um, and then he also started getting commissions for authenticating. Oh, Nazi my God. <laughs> it's like Certified now. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. Uh, but he said, look, man, <laughs> that's the only way I can I make money. These, I give this swastika an 8.5 rating out of 10. He was like, that's all I can do to make money now. Um, certifying Nazi memorabilia. Yeah, yeah. He claims to have sold oh my God. Hitler's walking stick wow. and a lock of the dictator's hair. And um, he also investigated the authenticity of bones purported to be from Hitler and Eva Braun. You know about that whole thing, right? Um, no, sort of. I mean, that they say that his head wasn't the real head that they found. Yeah, like the Russians claim the last time I checked... That they have the bones in a box. Yeah. And it's like a woman's set of bones. It's no, it's like the jaw or yeah, something. Yeah. I remember watching I that know. on the History Channel. Um, anyway, there. Hitler probably lived his days out in South America. Well, no, I don't, I don't think so. I think they got him. 
So anyway, um, there was some bad news. His daughter had schizophrenia hmm. and she was involved in a car crash uh. and they uh, amputated her legs. Yeah. And she was like, well, I don't want to live anymore. So she jumped out of a window and uh, committed suicide. And one of the wreaths sent to her funeral contained a card which stated, truly a merciful death, Philip Buller and friends. The reference to Buller was a reference to the Nazi who was in charge of Hitler's euthanasia program. Oh, <laughs> Irving described it okay. as a very cruel taunt. I guess. All right, dude, let's talk about a little Holocaust denial. Fun! Haven't we already been doing that? Yeah, for okay. an hour and a half, two hours. Okay, well, this was something I wasn't aware of. In the immediate aftermath of uh, World War II, mm-hmm. uh, the the Allies, they put all this information out, okay? Yeah, and propaganda. Like, <laughs> the, I, here's what I know. Yeah. I know that when they showed up at the camps, Eisenhower made like very specific demands to document everything because he foresaw that... Holocaust denial could happen someday. Did he? Yeah, he did. Uh-huh. So there was just ex- like he foresaw the industrial correct military complex. Correct, he did. So he wanted to cover his bases, but at first, the first uh, beginnings of Holocaust denial were rooted in something from World War One called the German Corpse Factory. Have you ever heard of it? Sounds a lot like something else from World War One, which is. Denying the genocide, the Turks. That's a separate thing. Yes. But what, what happened in World War One is there was some propaganda created by the British government, okay, mm-hmm. called the German Corpse Factory, also mm-hmm. known as Kaverdeschen Statenskalt, yeah. literally Carcass Utilization Factory. Right. Okay. So uh, it was also called German Corpse Rendering Works right. or Tallow Factory. Well, what this basically was, was the, um, the propaganda that the Germans on the battlefield of World War I, they would take all the dead bodies yeah. and then burn them, but keep the fat mm-hmm. to make munitions and like nitroglycerin and mm. things like that. Oh. So when people first heard about the Holocaust, they were like, wait a minute, wait a minute. We've already been down this road and it's possible it didn't happen. Right. So I thought that was very fascinating because I never heard that story before. Um, we're going to talk about a few more Holocaust deniers. Have you ever heard of Maurice Bardeshi? No. Well, he was the first person to openly write. You know what? I don't know any Holocaust deniers. So you, can, you, don't? you don't have to ask me any of those that question any, <laughs> anymore okay. going forward. Well, Bardeshi <clears throat> is viewed as the father figure of Holocaust denial. Okay. Okay. And the Godfather. He is. And according to him, testimonies just aren't reliable. The Father. <laughs> testimonies aren't reliable, especially coming from the mouths of Jews and communists. Atrocities committed in camps were the works of deportees. Okay? Mm. Disorganized, disorganization uh, occurred in Nazi camps following the first German defeats. Right. So he says only lice were gassed at Auschwitz. Uh, then there was a guy named uh, Harry Elmer Barnes. And he was an anti-war writer, and um, that would have been in the 20s that uh, he started something called the Center for the Study of the Causes of War, which was a German government-funded think tank. 
And their whole purpose was to just basically disseminate the official government position that Germany was uh, responsible for World War One, and that yeah. the Ver- Versailles Treaty was just morally invalid. Right. So anyway, he had a couple of uh, followers um, that took on his work. Um, and then you got this guy, uh, Paul Rassenier, not too entertaining. Um, and then um, there's a guy named Austin App, who uh, was a LaSalle University medieval English lit professor. Mm. And he is the first American mainstream American Holocaust denier. Come on, LaSalle, like the school here. In I was fucking... wondering that too. <laughs> so anyway, um, he was a professor. And then I think somebody was like, bro, you got to leave. You can't be doing this shit. Um, I, ca- I can't remember who it was, though. And then, um, do you have you ever heard of Willis Carto? Was he a Holocaust survivor <laughs> denier? No, he's the founder. Remember I told you we were going to talk about the Institute for Historical Review? No. Well, they're the organization dedicated to publicly challenging the common accepted history. Huh. He's basically the original change my mind guy. Cool. Do you know what I mean? That yeah, mean? yeah. Yeah, I yeah. didn't know that was Stephen Crowder until like last week. Yeah. Okay. So this is what he pulls off or their, their company. Uh, in, in 1980, they're like, look, we're going to give 50 grand a reward to anyone who could prove that the Jews were gassed at Auschwitz. <laughs> well, luckily, Mel Mermelstein <laughs> was a, uh, Mermelstein, was a survivor. Christ. And he wrote a letter to the editor of the LA Times in the Jerusalem Post. And the IHR wrote back and they were like, yeah, we'll give you 50 grand for proof that the Jews were in fact gassed in the gas chambers at Auschwitz. So Mermelstein submits a notarized account of his internment at Auschwitz and how he witnessed Nazi guards ushering in his mother and two sisters um, into gas chamber number five. Well, the I, I One, two, well, <laughs> three, four, five. Come on, let's ride to the. It's a Mambo number five song. Oh, Mambo number five. I see. Yeah. Gas chamber number five. Well, the IHR is like, well, that's not really proof, and we're not going to pay the reward. So Mermelstein sues the IHR. No, he does. Uh Oh, I didn't believe that. It's Superior Court for breach of contract, uh, libel, and injurious denial of established fact, intentional infliction of emotional distress, and declaratory relief. Well, then both of these parties in Superior Court file motions, and um, the L.A. Superior, excuse me, not L.A., the Superior Court of Los Angeles County took judicial notice of the fact that Jews were gassed to death in the summer of 1944. Now, judicial notice meaning that the court treated the gas chambers as common knowledge and therefore did not require evidence. Oh. That the gas chambers existed. Seems a little. No, I think it's more than fair. Seems a little unfair. <laughs> I think it's pretty fair. So uh, the judgment required IHR and other defendants to pay Mermelstein $90,000 and issue an apology um, for the pain, anguish, and suffering. Hmm. These guys were the original fuck around and find out guys. <laughs> did they ever, <laughs> did they ever pay him? <laughs> yeah, they had to pay him. Hmm. So, but then they were like, hey, just so you know, we're not denying the Holocaust. Uh, you know, it's just that we don't have any position on a specific event. James Keegstra, ever hear of him? 
That's a <laughs> he no. He played third base for the Yankees. <laughs> it's fucking 60-something. In 84, he was a Canadian high school teacher, uh-huh. and he got charged under the Canadian Criminal Code for promoting hatred against... Well, these Canadians running interference for the Jews, <laughs> it looks like. I don't think you understand how this works. <laughs> he uh, He's charged for promoting hatred against an identifiable group by communicating anti-Semitic statements to his students. Students. So during class, he would describe <laughs> Jews as a people of profound evil who had created the Holocaust to gain sympathy. Oh, Jesus then Christ. he also quizzed them in exams <laughs> on his theories <laughs> about opinions of Jews. So is dreidel is a dreidel real? I don't know. <laughs> I don't. So he gets charged under uh, you know whatever some non freedom of speech <laughs> stuff. Yeah. And then um, he gets convicted, and then they overturn it, and then reconvicted again. Yeah. Okay. So overturning and reconvicting. Well, there were there were four to three decisions both times, I guess, wow. in these courts. Uh, how about Bradley Smith of Coda? Mm-hmm. Codo. Mm-hmm. You know what Codo is? I think I got that rookie card. Yeah. Okay. It's the Committee for Open Debate on the Holocaust. Oh, uh, yeah. How did I, I miss that one? <laughs> so, one of the. What he was doing was uh, repeatedly putting advertisements questioning whether or not the Holocaust happened. All we're trying to do is open the debate. <laughs> He's like, let's talk about <laughs> let's it. Let's talk about it. Dude. But what he did is he put in all of his advertisements in college campus newspapers. Mm-hmm. Okay. He said, I don't want to spend time with adults anymore. <laughs> I want to go to I the can't, stu- I can't beat it. It's like Ben Shapiro. He can't beat the adults. He's got to go debate a fucking 10th grader. He says, students. They're superficial. They're empty vessels ready to be filled. <laughs> what I wanted to do was I wanted to set forth three or four ideas that students might be interested in that might cause them to think about things or to have questions about things. And I wanted to make it as simple as possible and set it up in a way that could not really be debated. <laughs> so, okay. So you're not for open debate. <laughs> so he puts these um, these ads in like all these like college campuses, including the Harvard Crimson, um, which ran the ad. And of course, they get criticized. Change my moil. <laughs> they get criticized immediately. Yeah. Uh, Armin like. Armin J. Mayer, ever hear about him? Mm-hmm. He published a book entitled "Why Did the Heavens Not Darken." Well, the book didn't deny the Holocaust. But it would have walked that line. But it, it support it lent support to Holocaust <coughs> Holocaust denial ah. by stating that most people who died at Auschwitz were the victims of natural causes mm. such as disease, mm-hmm. um, unfortunate acts of war. Yeah. Now, uh, Hamas. I told you we we're going to talk about. Yeah, them. I can't wait. They've long promoted Holocaust denial. Uh-huh. <clears throat> Muslim Brotherhood. Abdel Aziz Al Rantisi held that the Holocaust you know him? never occurred. <laughs> yeah, of course I know him. Isn't that the, the main dude right now? I don't have no idea. Um, Iran. They're all about Holocaust denial. Yeah. Um, this is so fucking wacky. No, it's not wacky. It's sick. In 2015, this is in Iran. Um, they hold a cartoon contest called the Second International Holocaust Cartoon Competition, in which artists were Stop encouraged. 2014, dude. <laughs> which were encouraged to submit cartoons of the theme of Holocaust denial. 
The winner got twelve thousand dollars. It's just Mohammed over and over again. Uh, I actually looked at. It. I can't remember. What, what, it was. It was not impressive. Yeah. Um. Now, did you know, Dave? Yes. That Holocaust denial literature is freely published in Russia. Wow. Yep. And in Hungary, Holocaust distortion and denial take place in the form of downplaying the country's role in the killing and deportation of Jews. Ah. Uh huh. That sucks. Yep. The Arrow Cross Party committed numerous crimes and killed deported Jews. A total of four hundred thirty-seven thousand Jews. Were I think deported. the Gypsies and the Jews would have a lot in common. By the way, that's what the Roma meant. Remember last week's yes, episode? Yes. I was yes. like, "What's Roma?" The Gypsies. Somebody. I forgot who mentioned that. Was it? Sh- yeah. Schwilly. Yep. Maybe. Yep. Somebody else. Thank uh, you for that. Um, <clears throat> do you have you ever heard of Monica Schaefer? Nope. And her German-Canadian brother, Alfred Schaefer? I guarantee you I'm not going to recognize any names that you start saying it at all throughout okay. the rest of this podcast. Okay. Well, they stated in Germany in July 2018 um, that, uh, well, remember the Volkenschlager? <laughs> yeah. That's incitement to hatred? Yeah, yeah, They were yeah. charged with that. So they were uploading YouTube clips. <laughs> <laughs> denying, so we're, getting, we're getting close to the present. Denying uh, genocide, and uh, in the clips, Alfred Schaefer said that the Jews wanted to destroy Germans and blamed them for starting both world wars, and referred to the Holocaust as a Jewish fantasy. Monica Schaefer uh, was arrested in 2018 in Germany while attending a court hearing of Sylvia Stolz. Remember her? Mm. She's the wacky lawyer yeah, yeah. that signed Heil Hitler yeah. on all of her motions. <laughs> That's right. So she's up to support her. <laughs> so these people get around. Yeah. Anyway, she got it's a con- tight-knit group. She got convicted of the charge of incitement of the people um, and got 10 months with Alfred Schaefer. So uh, this is like the like the Jesse Jesse James, not Jesse James, Jesse Jackson of Deny well, the Holocaust denial. I wonder if those clips are still up. I didn't look. I doubt it. Anyway, Alfred got um, uh, a sentence of three years and two months. Wow. This is an interesting um, fact I came across. According to 2020, not the show, but the year, there was a survey. I don't even know it was a show called 2020. <laughs> of course you don't. Oh, yeah, 2020. Downs, Barbara oh, yeah, Walters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's David somebody now. It's not as good as it yeah, used to yeah, be. Yeah. Well, they did a survey of American adult millennials and Generation Z members, and 24% said the Holocaust might be a myth. Well, that, you can convince 25% of everybody on anything. That the Holocaust is a myth? That's a quarter of the population almost. Yeah. Um, there's another... I bet, you can be, I bet you can get 25% of people to say dinosaurs don't exist. Um, you can get a lot more than that if they're conservative Christians. <laughs> yeah. Okay. There you go. So, um, you ever hear of Untersturmfuhrer, Hans yeah. M- Monk? Mm-hmm. I think we did an open mic together. <laughs> okay. Well, he was the camp physician uh, at Auschwitz. Mm-hmm. And funny guy. He said, "So, f- um, the facts at Auschwitz are so firmly determined that one cannot have any doubt at all." Mm. And describe those who negate what happened in the camp as malevolent people who have. Uh, personal interest to want to bury and silence things cannot be buried in silence. Um, so at least there was one guy that was honest about it. So he said, I saw the gas chambers. I saw the crematoria. I saw the fires. Uh, I was on the ramp when selections took place. I would like you to believe that these atrocities happened because I was there. Now, 
Holocaust denial is explicitly illegal in guess how many countries? 80. You want the over or the under? You want the over or the under on 35? Over. No, it's less. It's only 18 countries. Austria, Belgium, Canada, Czech Republic, France, Germany, Hungary, Israel, Liechtenstein, Lithuania, Luxembourg, the Netherlands, Poland, Portugal, Romania, Russia, Slovakia, and Switzerland. Now, I tell you this for a reason, Dave. You got loose lips sometimes. Yeah. Okay. Sing ships. <laughs> you might say the wrong thing mm-hmm. on one in one of those countries. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like the old racist joke, you gotta put your turn your head. Yeah. That's when you're gonna need to turn your head if you're uh-huh. gonna get a little dicey mm-hmm. in those countries. Start throwing my voice again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um I'm one that way. I want to wrap this up with one thing about genocidal uh, denial. Yep. <clears throat> Holocaust denial is often compared to Armenian genocide. Hell yeah. Denial. Based. Because of similar tactics of Well, mis- it's okay, because I don't believe in that either. <laughs> I'm just joking. I should hope so. You are a survivor. <laughs> your, your, mo- your, your mom and dad, or was it your grandparents? No, they're, I mean, my grandmother was born in 1915. They fled from Turkey to but, So it was like three, U- she was Ukraine. like two. Two or three. Was it 1917 or 1918? 1915. Oh, it was 15? Mm-hmm. No, when the genocide took 1915. place. 1915. So she fled that year. Well, her parents did. Okay. Fled Turkey that year, yeah. Okay, gotcha. Went to Ukraine. Well, they're similar. Two years before. They're similar because uh, they both mi- mi- misrepresent evidence, false equivalence, and claim that the atrocities were invented by war propaganda mm-hmm. and that powerful lobbies manufacture genocide allegations for their own profit. Mm-hmm. Um, subsuming one-sided systematic extermination into war deaths and shifting blame for the perpetrators to the victims of genocide. Both forms of negationism share the goal of rehabilitating the ideologies which brought genocide about. Well, I wish our courts recognized them like they do the Holocaust. What what do you mean by that? Well, I don't think that the uh, American government really recognizes the genocide. Well, I'll tell you this. I I wasn't taught that in history. They got fucking... They got friends. They're friends with Turkey. I didn't know about the Armenian genocide until I moved to Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. It was never taught to me in high school. Yep. It was never taught to me in college. Yep. So yeah, you're right. It's you know, it's not like, it's not like the minor leagues of Holocaust. How many people mm-hmm. died? One point five mil. Yeah. That's you know, pretty significant. If we accept a conservative number of six million, that's a, a quarter. I mean, that's yeah. a, a substantial amount of people. Sure. So. Anyway, and we did it first. <laughs> no, you got it done to you first. <laughs> There's a big difference. <laughs> um, so that's that's today's episode. Great, um, we learned a lot today. I learned more than I expected. To we heard our episode. power rankings of fucking Holocaust deniers right now. What's that? We had a power ranking of Holocaust deniers. Yeah, I mean Irving's up there. The All Star, the Pro Bowl. If you're gonna denying, yeah, if you're gonna put an All Star team together, <laughs> Irving is your clutch. Yeah, what do you call it? Your fourth hitter. Your fucking yeah, your cleanup. Yeah, batting cleanup. Yeah, Zundel's probably the leadoff man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and yeah. then you know, Lukter is definitely Lukter's the pitcher that has to hit. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, that, he's not, very, not getting DH. He's not very good at what he yeah, does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, he's he is getting DH. Yeah, let's yeah. hope so. It is fascinating to believe uh, um, or believe understand understand that Fred's still alive after drinking forty cups of coffee a day. Yeah, and he's born in he's your dad's age. What is that? Eighty. Eighty. Yeah. So um, my that, dad gives him a run for his money on the coffee, though. Uh, oh, he does. Mm-hmm. 
Your dad, but he probably mm-hmm. just uh, eats that, drinks that grandma coffee like my grandmother. No, nah, he's drinking regular old Keurig coffee. I mean, it's there. Really? Yeah, it's, it's, he's drinking about eight. He's at eight, about eight cups. Okay. Now, Dave, I'm going to ask you, as I always do, and I'll preface this by saying this is in my top ten of all time. Right. Would you watch this documentary? No. Why? This is a drag. I ain't watching this one. <laughs> of all the, the other downer? ones. Yeah. Of all, the, uh, of all the fucking fun, cool documentaries, you think I'm going to watch this one? Ugh. You don't want to see Fred in action, huh? No. Okay. I don't care. All right. I don't care about any of this stuff. Well, it was always Dave. In fact, fun you co-host. <laughs> okay. It's always Dave. I appreciate you listening and letting me try to convince you to watch this <laughs> No problem, bud. Um, Dave, before we get out of here, yeah. uh, it's review time. Yeah. Okay. Favorite time. This review is from Apple Podcast from Gilligan Z Hat. Yay. Sometimes Gilligan Z Hat. It's titled Sometimes Better Than the Documentary. Wow. Chris is great at taking you into the docks and locking into the quirky, weird characters and keeping things funny in between the dry parts of the docks. I love documentaries, and Chris and Dave can make docks I've seen. 10 times refreshed. Yeah. And they dig and give you new ones to check out. Yeah. Highly recommended. Dice control. Oh. Oh. <laughs> now, I don't get that. Is that a reference to the gambling podcast uh, where I, I was know. talking about dice, dice control? Oh, yeah, dice control. Yeah, yeah, or yeah. Or is yeah. that an Andrew Dice? No, I think it's... I think it's. <laughs> oh. I, mean, I think... I mean, we, I think I'm pretty sure we made a dice joke during dice you, control. You probably would yeah, have yeah, had yeah, to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, next week, teaser time, Dave. Yeah. Next week's we're, documentary. We're out of November, aren't we? Yeah. Uh, Halloween in November's over. It's over, huh? Yeah. Okay. It was four weeks. Yeah. So uh, still got a couple of weeks of November left somehow. But by the time we get around to next week, <laughs> when we release uh, the new one, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it won't be November. No, it won't I don't matter. Maybe it will. Yeah, it might be. Okay. Well, if you want to follow along at home, check out Nothing Lasts Forever. You can find it on. We technically, Paramount we'll Plus. have one more. We technically have five weeks in November, so it doesn't doesn't help our case, but it's okay. We well, get to Thanksgiving something. Well, maybe I'm, we'll do Thanksgiving doc. Probably not. No, we're gonna do nothing last forever. Oh, I just okay. told you. Oh, okay, what okay. is that about? I'm, I can't tell you. Okay, it's just called nothing lasts. But forever. like, you don't, can't even tell me the premise. Uh, I'll give you the one genre. hint. The diamond. Genre, the genre. Ooh. Yeah, diamond. Ooh, I like it. Yeah, it's going to be a fun one. Yay. Um, Dave, yep. as always, Yes. what does this show run on? Fucking the tears of Nazis. <laughs> Nazi tears. Nazi tears. And uh, depleted gas money yes. to get over here. Oh, yeah. Traffic, Traffic. and stuff. Yep. Traffic. So um, if you want to help out. Please do. Please leave a review on please Apple Podcast review. or Spotify. I'm not getting enough hate in the reviews. I think Man. we get... It's all right. We don't always need hate, Dave. It doesn't have to be about your You're hatred. Right. So you could say something positive, five stars on either place. And of course, um, we always make sure and publish all reviews, uh, good or bad. So please leave one on Spotify if you don't have Apple Pod. And of course, we want to thank uh, Broccoli Farms for sponsoring this week's show. We will see you next week for episode what number, Dave? Mm, 69. Yeah. Yeah, 69. Nothing lasts forever. We'll see you next week.